So have you ever felt lonely? Ever felt alone? Two years ago, Chloe felt lonely. She had moved to Salt Lake City from Pittsburgh. She was in a new city starting a new life, and and she just felt alone, and she was having a hard time. But then she remembered something that she used to do in college, and she decided that she was going to start doing it again. Well, what was this thing she used to do in college? Well, she used to write love notes and randomly put them at different places all over campus, hoping to encourage some stranger one day. The notes usually said something along these lines, if you're reading this note, please know that you are loved. According to an article by Kathy Free of the Washington Post, Chloe started doing that in Salt Lake City. Then she told a friend of hers that she was doing it. They got together, and now there's a few dozen people that meet twice a month. They write these love letters, these notes of encouragement, and then they go out and put them in different places like coffee houses and grocery stores and art galleries and even the Home Depot, wherever they may be going that they can find a way to encourage someone else. They've named their group The Love Letters, and this is what one of their members shared. With loneliness so prevalent, it's hard to just walk up to someone and say, hi, would you like to be my friend? A handwritten letter is a lost art form that anyone can appreciate. It lets people know that somebody out there cares. It's a big deal. She probably don't want me to say this, and there's more, but Miss Carol Roddy is one of a number of you in our church that every day sends a handwritten card or note to someone. And Carol, we thank you for that because all of us have benefited from that. It's a powerful thing to get a handwritten note. Even if it's a handwritten note from somebody you don't know, just, just the acknowledgement that someone has entered into your life with some grace and mercy and love. Chloe was having a rough day one day. She walked down the street to a coffee shop near her house. She got her coffee. She went over and sat down at the table. And as soon as she sat down at the table, she looked over and she saw an, an envelope sitting on the table. And she immediately recognized it was one of their cards that her group puts out. And so she opened up the card, and this is how the note began. Dearest human, this note may find you by happenstance, but it was meant for you. Sometimes in life, we need some happenstance, don't we? We need some happenstance because we may try to ignore it. We may push against it. We may hope or wish that it may never happen to us, but difficult things happen in life. And sometimes it's not just difficult things. Sometimes it is terrible, awful, evil things that we cannot even explain. Our community has experienced that this week. A heartbreaking thing that we cannot explain. And when hardship and when heartbreak, when they show up, in our minds, or in our hearts, or in our homes, we need a random act of kindness. We need a a random note of love. We need a reminder that something has been meant for us. We need a reminder that there is meaning 
and purpose in life. But we also need something that is not random. We need something more than than just a random love note. We we need a, a love letter that's directly written to us. We need something directly written to us to give us clarity, to give us perspective. We need something directly to us so that our hearts can feel what our hearts want to feel. Something directly to us so that our souls will see what our souls long to see. What kind of love letter is that? And what does it look like and sound like? Well, let's find out. Psalm 1, verse 6, the psalmist writes this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is one of the most loving and powerful and comforting truths in the universe. God knows the way of the righteous. God knows the way of those who are right with Him. God knows the way of His children. God knows the way of His own. If you're a Christian and you haven't heard this in a while, just just want you to know, God has not lost your location. God has not lost you. He knows exactly where you are. He has not lost sight of you, not even for a millisecond of your life. God knows your way. He fully knows where you are. He knows where you are going. He knows where you have been. He knows the next step and the next step and the next step. This is just some of the language that he has given in the Bible to help us understand how much he truly knows us and cares for us and knows our way. Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize, you you intensely inspect. You look at my path, my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's it's too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Let me ask you a question. Are you afraid of the dark? Let me put this a different way. 
If any of us are stuck out in some haunted field in the middle of Siberia at 3 o'clock in the morning, we're all going to be a little afraid of the dark, all right? That moment's impossible for God. It's, it's not possible for God to ever be in the dark. He sees everything as if it is the brightest day of summer. Now, that truth has two pretty big implications. First, you can't hide anything from God. Whatever you think you're hiding from God, you, you can't do it. Nothing can be hidden from God. Sin, immorality, arrogance, rudeness, lust, cheating, defiance, slander, gossip, whatever else you want to put on that list, nothing can be hidden from God. God sees absolutely everything. He sees it all as like the clearest of days. About 600 years before Jesus was born, God told the prophet Jeremiah to write down this quote, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? We can't hide anything. He, he feel, fills every single square inch of the universe. We can't hide from God. The Apostle Paul put it this way to the folks in the ancient city of Ephesus, Ephesians 5. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead in Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This week, through tragedy in our community, this week through tragedy through a deadly virus on the other side of the world, this week, through all types of difficulties, we have discovered again that there are trials and there are tribulations, and these days are evil. And because of that, today, right now, you should make the most of your time. In some ways, whatever that means, make the most of your time because the days of evil, but strategically, the way you can make the most of your time is to discover the beauty and the power of the gospel, to pray that God would give you eyes to see so that you would wake up and come to Christ. God's desire, God's delight for your life is that you would wake up and come to Christ. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, please understand you are not asleep in the dark right now. And here's why. You have heard songs sung about the gospel. You have heard the Bible already read. You are listening to a sermon. Now, already up until this moment, you are not asleep in the dark. You're asleep in the light. But the light is there for you. The, the truth of who Jesus is has already been presented. 
And by the kindness and mercy of God, you've heard a little bit. And the call is still the same. Wake up, sleeper, and come to Christ. Wake up and come to Christ. One implication of darkness and light being the same to God is that we can't hide anything from God. There's a second implication, and maybe we can think of it this way. What is the darkest moment that you have ever experienced in your life? What's the the darkest moment that you have experienced? Or maybe ask another way, what is the darkest moment you can imagine ever experiencing in life? According to the character and nature of who God is, that darkest moment for God he could see as clear as day. The, The light of his glory and grace were upon that moment. God sees all in the light. He does not see the dark. Fanny Crosby was struck with blindness six weeks after she was born. Her father died when she was six months old. She was raised by her mother and her grandmother who deeply both loved Jesus and they poured the gospel into Fanny's life and that's why she became a follower of Jesus at a very young age. Her whole life was completely altered. She experienced loss before she even knew what loss was, just as a baby. But there is no evidence in her life that she was ever bitter or angry or constantly saying, God, why would you let something like this happen? For 94 years, she lived in the dark. But... She knew her Redeemer did not live in the dark. She knew that God could see everything. She knew that that God knew her way. And she knew that her life was always lit up in the glory and grace of God. She was confident of who he was. She was so confident that she wrote almost 9,000 hymns. Uh, let's, just, let's just take a gander at this. Oh, all right. Our hymnal has, I think it's 600 and something other, that was close, six, somebody can do this faster than me. This is what I say on Wednesday nights, everybody goes, 674, all right. We have 674 hymns in our hymnal. She wrote almost 9,000 hymns in her lifetime. And here's just a few words from one of those hymns. All the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my God? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know Whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Listen to that again because let me just confess for us. Most of us will sing that song in this sanctuary and go, oh, this is a great old hymn. I love it. It's one of my favorite. And we will leave this building and we will not believe what we sang. So listen to it again. For I Know 
whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. That is a pretty powerful love note from a woman who never saw in her life. And it's not a random love note either. It is directed. Her love was primarily directed to God. Her ultimate and primary love was focused on God. Why? Because she was right with him and she knew that God knew her way. She knew it. And how did she get right with God? Well, she got right with God through Jesus. The birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is not just some cute fable that was made up so that churches could build buildings and pay their staff. Now, the story of Jesus is the power of God to those who are being saved, to those who are right with God. The story of Jesus is a constant flow of comfort and hope, of love, of stability for every moment, for any moment in life. You see, Fanny Crosby can write a love letter that says, Jesus doeth all things well, including even him allowing her to be blind for 94 years. He does all things well. She could write that because there was one thing that Jesus did for her. And that one thing covered every single moment in life, whether the moment was terrific or tragic. And what was that one thing? Simon Peter put it this way. First Peter 2. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. If God, through his infinite grace, can purpose and permit and propel his one and only son to go the way of the cross for us so that he would bear our sin in his own body, so that he would satisfy ultimate justice across the universe, And then give mercy to that same universe through that same justice. If he can do the one thing well that our souls need the most, if God can accomplish all of that, and if he's done that, then we can trust him. Jesus doeth all things well because Jesus has done the one thing that our souls needed the most. He bore our sins in his own body. So, does the Lord know your way? Now, he knows it either way. Everything's light to him. We can't hide anything from him. But, but does the Lord know your way? According to how the the Bible reads, is is God intensely and joyfully watching over you? Is he singing over you as you ultimately and undeniably and eternally make your way to him? 
Sevilla Martin was born in Nova Scotia, Canada in 1866. She died in Atlanta, Georgia in 1948. She was also a hymn writer like Fanny Crosby. And in 1905, she wrote this love letter. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, so I know he watches me. For believers, that is a love letter of great hope. But a lot of people, they don't like that idea at all. But they don't like the idea that God's watching over anybody. They don't like the idea that God's watching our every move. Or they don't like the concept that if there is a God, and this God is, is somewhere up in heaven watching over everything, what kind of God is he? to just watch over all of these difficult, evil things and do nothing about it. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote this. Not many years ago when I was an atheist, if anyone had asked me, why do you not believe in God, my reply would have been, look at the universe we live in. He goes on. History is largely a record of crime, war, disease, and terror. The universe is running down. All stories will come to nothing. All life will turn out in the end to have been a transitory and senseless contortion upon the idiotic face of infinite matter. Many people that you work with think like that. If you ask me to believe that this is the work of a benevolent and omnipotent spirit, I reply that all the evidence points in the opposite direction. Either there is no spirit behind the universe or else a spirit indifferent to good and evil or else an evil spirit. You can mumble and, and grumble and complain and argue and debate and protest anything and everything you want. But at the end of the day, all of us will kind of end up with an ultimate final exam question that we'll have to answer. And C.S. Lewis gives it to us in multiple choice form. So here's the multiple choice answers. There is no God. A, B, God is indifferent to good and evil. C, God is an evil spirit. Now, many, really statistically, most people in the world have no problem with those three answers. They'll pick one and run with it. They're, they're comfortable with one of those things being right. But you have to do something with Jesus. See, that's, the, that's always the wrench. It's always the problem. You have to do something with Jesus. See, Jesus demands a letter D. He demands a, another answer in the question because Jesus made clear and bold declarations about the character and nature of God. The kind of declarations that demand that a, a letter D gets thrown in there, there is one God and there is no other. He is God and there is no other. Jesus made bold statements about the character and nature of God, and Jesus made a bold sacrifice for the sins of the world. 
And that's why C.S. Lewis also wrote this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And it's because of Jesus C.S. Lewis couldn't leave just those three multiple-choice questions. You see, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, they all combine to make the most benevolent, most omnipotent act of love that has ever been displayed because the one person who walked this earth who was perfectly innocent bore our sins in his own body. And that changes the multiple choice. Lewis goes on to describe how he came to God. I had a notion that somehow besides questing, I was being pursued. You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. He goes on. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? And listen to this. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. In other words... The one true God that no one else compares to, that God is compelled that you would be free. He's compelled that you would be free. How compelled? He sent his own son to bear our sins in his body. God is compelled that you would be free. Can I just say that your spouse and your parents, and your kids, and your pastor, and your politicians, and the coolest people that you've ever known, they are not compelled that you would be set free the way the one true God of the universe is compelled to give you freedom. It's his character. It's his nature. It's who he is. Could you hear the sounds of Psalm 1-6 all through Lewis's story? The, the sovereign kindness of God 
pursuing him, the, the sovereign kindness of God, helping him know the way and find the way and follow the way. Listen to the words of the love letter again. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But there's a second part to verse 6. The psalmist goes on. But the way of the wicked will perish. <laughs> we just left the love letter part, right? We've, we've moved on to the non-love part, right? Or, or did we? Let me ask you a question. Think of who you trust the most in life. Who, who's that person that you just, they, their, their name, their face just flashed in your mind. And let me ask you this, do you trust them because they have a pattern of lying to you? Or do you trust them because they have a pattern of telling you the truth? Who do you trust? Do you trust people that lie to you? Or do you trust people that tell you the truth? The psalmist is telling us the truth. Jesus was and is a way maker. And Jesus was and is a truth teller. And this is what Jesus said, Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Many. But then he goes on. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are only two ways to live. Through the wide gate that leads to destruction, or through the narrow gate that leads to life. There are no other options. And so I ask you to ask your heart, which gate have you gone through and which path are you on? King David said it this way, but the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. There are a lot of folks that hang out at the lake, a lot of folks that go to the beach. Listen to how Spurgeon describes this. As for the wicked, he plows the sea. And though there may seem to be a shining trail behind his keel, yet the waves shall pass over it. And the place that knew him shall know him no more forever. That's sobering. And so again, I graciously ask, which gate have you gone through and which path are you on? And as believers, what do we do with this? What do we do with these two truths? The truth that there is a way for the righteous and there is a way for the wicked. What do we do with these truths? I was reading something this week about a husband and wife that live in a very dangerous Islamic country. It is very dangerous for them to in any way live out their faith and share the gospel. How dangerous? Well, this is the description I read. Each morning when this husband and wife part ways, they acknowledge to one another that it might be the last time they see each other because of the gospel. Not just randomly, but because they live in a place where when they leave every morning, 
They acknowledge their love to one another because it could be the last time they see each other because of the gospel. Because they know that if they're caught or captured or arrested or found doing anything in the name of Jesus, they could be brutally and repeatedly abused and tortured and possibly executed. And yet, notice, each morning. That means every morning they get up and they do it all over again. They go back out and they look for some way, they pray for some way to help someone find the narrow gate every day in the face of danger. This couple lived in the United States for a time and not long after they had been here, the wife went to the husband and pleaded with him, can we please go back? Can we please go back? Can we go back to the place that it is immensely dangerous for us to follow Jesus? Can we go back there? And why? This is what she said. It's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here and the Christians are asleep and I feel like I'm falling asleep. Please, let's go back. Christian, we have in the pages of the Bible, not just in Psalm 1, but throughout this consistent truth that the way of the wicked leads to perishing and destruction. And we have the news that can change their way. And so let us not listen to the lullaby of the enemy and fall asleep. Rather, with grace and mercy and love, let us speak the truth. Let us live out the truth. Let us do all we can to help others find the narrow gate. I was walking out to my car the other night here at the office, and I got by the, the end of the playground and looked down in the sand, and someone had written in the sand. <laughs> They'd written this little note, and it said, I love you. I took it personal. You know, I don't know who it was meant for, but I was like, all right, I'll take that. Yeah, it's good to be loved. Yay, all right. I was pretty happy walking out to my car. But, you know, as, as the week has gone on, and we've had some rain and some wind, and, and our campus is, is fully used all the time, that, that sand has moved around, and the note has started to disappear. Can I just, with everything that is in me, let you know this? That when God wrote you a love letter, he did not write it in sand. He carved it in the chief cornerstone. He made sure that, that his message of love could never be erased. He made his message into the rock of ages who cannot change like the shifting sand. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus and his love is not random. His love was and his love is meant for you. For you.
He bore his, in his body, he bore your sins. Your sins in his body. Your sins in his body. There is no greater love than that. And there is no greater hope than that. And no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the evil, no matter what the tragedy, there is nothing that can ever erase the love of Jesus.